COVID hair don't care. That might be true for a lot of people, but barbershops are still open for folks who want to have a fresh, clean look for the next Zoom meeting. Hi, I'm George Boldarki, and this is Cityscape. On this week's show, we're checking in with one New York City barbershop that offers a history lesson with a trim. Arthur Rubinoff is the owner of the NYC Barbershop Museum, a place for classic cuts and barbering artifacts. Arthur, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you for your time as well. So first of all, how has COVID changed how you're operating these days? It's, it's, it's pretty hard. Uh, it's, it's now we, the, the business is 30% out of what we did before. Uh, especially in Midtown, I have two locations uh, besides the Barber Museum. We'll get to that later. But it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard. No tourism. Not only that, a lot of people still afraid of getting a haircut. A lot of people still home. And it's, you know, the, the customers that I had on Upper West Side, they're helping me. They're helping me as far as they even tip more, uh, you know, giving more for a haircut itself. You know, there's a lot of good people around. Nice to see the community pull together like that, right? Yes. Thank God I'm on Upper West Side, to be honest with you, because Midtown, like I said, it's it's dead. How many shops do you have? Uh, now I have four barbershops and the museum, NYC Barbershop Museum. How did it all start for you? How did you get your start as a barber? Well, I'm a fourth generation We for, from former Soviet Union, uh, which is Uzbekistan right now. I came here when I was 14 years old. And honestly, you know, being the only child in the family, I went to work. I did full times, went for a furniture business. My father used to tell me that man has to have 10 professions. 10 professions? Yes, yeah, so he can survive and feed his family. You actually also learned the custom jewelry trade and designed ornate pieces for hip-hop and celebrity clientele. Yes, I did the ring, that, that famous ring, the Tupac Shakur, for Tupac Shakur. I worked for, worked with Chris Rock. Yeah, it's you know it's all like my again. My father is my icon. I'll, I always in my interviews, without my parents, without help of uh, my close friends, and they not too many of them these days, unfortunately. I would not accomplish this. It's all with the right, like I say, right army because. The, the, the soldier cannot win the war by himself. When did you open your first barbershop in New York City? Uh, my father opened up in 1991, which was in Astoria, Queens. Uh, my first barbershop, it was uh, in 1999 on 74th and Columbus. So you were doing these other things prior to opening that barbershop. It wasn't directly into the barbershop business for you. No, no, no. It took some years, some years, because honestly, I don't want to become a barber. That's why I became a jeweler. I went uh, to become a setter. I learned uh, six different ways how to set the stones, the pave work, the channel work. Because back then, honestly, all my friends from high school, they made money. They made money, cash money. Uh, and to become a barber at that time, you needed to go to school as well, which I didn't want to because I grew up in a barbershop. So I wanted to try myself in a different field. But when I opened up a jewelry store in Queens, because I couldn't afford 47th Street, it was too expensive and it's still expensive. 
I opened up in my father's salon where my mom used to have a nail salon. It, it was a beauty salon. It wasn't a barbershop. It was everything in there. So I said to my dad, I said, give me a window and I open up a, like a boutique inside the salon. Within a year, I got robbed a few times, lost a lot of money. And he told me, listen, barbers don't get robbed that often. That's when I became a barber. He gave me a shop on one way street. Over the years, my family had 26 barbershops. My father's idea was to open a barbershop, to build it for a year, year and a half, and sell it to the workers. Make a meeting and it, it works successfully. Uh, about 17 barbershops still in business that we sold. They're all up and running because he always taught me when you sell it, make sure that there's no surprises. Make sure that the business is successful because in the end of the day, we all have to eat. We all have to grow. That's how it's supposed to be. And then I became a barber. I went on one way street in Forest Hills. And slowly by slowly, he opened up, uh, he actually gave me a present on my 25th birthday, a barbershop that's been there at that time. I'm there for 22 years. Uh, Franco was there for 49 years. The barbershop is very well known. A lot of celebrity clientele. Bruce Willis gets his shave there. Gotti shaves there. Not every time. When he's in New York, he stops by. Catherine Zeta-Jones' son. Uh, Tony Denz is the regular customer. And the list goes on and on and on and on. What was it like for you, as you say, growing up in a barbershop, spending your time there as a kid? That's how I became very mature. Because honestly, all my friends were always older than me. And like I said, I was the only child. My father was always afraid. I never went anywhere. If I was late to his shop from the school in the city of Fergana in Uzbekistan, he would literally ask the, his uh, clients to go around on the bicycles, on the cars, whoever had what, to look for me. And uh, I, I used to work at his shop. He used to pay me three rubles a day, which was big money back then. It's $120, $120 rubles a month. It was a salary. Teachers used to get that salary. So I used to sweep up the floors, taking money and washing the hair. Over there, here, some barbers, they don't practice of washing hair. There, it's a must. Before a haircut, you have to wash your hair. And honestly, in my point of view, this is the right way because the haircut comes better. But some haircuts like skin fades, all that type of flat top, it's better to, to cut on the dry hair. So it's not 50-50, it's those haircuts are 30%. I'm more of a classical barber. I'm more of a scissor over a comb. I do fades, yes, but I'm not that type of a barber that does those designs, that draws. I give them a lot of respect. You need a lot of patience and I just don't draw. So it's a different category of barbers. But as far as barber, I don't know if you, that's why I went to history. They used to perform minor surgeries. They act as, then they used to take out teeth. They used to take bullet removals. 
Uh, our first president, George Washington, died in the hands of a barber. They did bloodletting, the famous procedure. It's just when the Medical Association came uh, in 1942, they started uh, closing medical procedures in the barbershop uh, by violations, ticketing, so they had to shut it down. It seems that you have a lot of knowledge about the history of barbering. What inspired that interest for you to dig into the history, not just do it, but learn about it and its background? I love what I do. I don't follow the money. I love my, I, I follow my passion and, and, and love anything I do, even when I drive. I love. Everything has to have love. I also teach. I, you know, there's, if we go along, there's a lot. I do, uh, and we also came out with the mobile barbershop that a lot of people don't know. Uh, it's been around already for a couple of months. I already have two trailers with the, with the barbershop on wheels. I want to help out hospitals, senior citizen homes, and universities. So is that something that was inspired by COVID to bring the barbershop on the road? No. Actually, I have that idea when my father was in the hospital. He passed away in 2003 from a brain tumor and been in and out of hospital. And when I saw those people been there for three, four months with the beard, with the long hair, that's when I said, I have to come out with something that we can bring to them. You know, some things took place in my life. I was postponing. Yes, but when, when COVID hit, that's when it inspired me to, to do it. Arthur, talk to me about the importance of a haircut, because it's more than just looking good. It's about feeling good, too. And I think that sort of speaks to your point, too, the importance of bringing it to a hospital setting, allowing somebody to feel better by getting that haircut, right? Well, I always say barbering, it's not just a vocation. It's an art. I have one example. After COVID, we were shut down for exactly 90 days. Guys came in with the long hair. How would you like? I don't know. I want to change the style. What do you recommend? You have to be creative. Do you want it to be under years? You want your banks to be choppy? Your back should be natural or straight? So you have to create. So it's an art. For me, it's an art. And not only that, you have to perform and the customer have, has to love it. That's the important part, to give the satisfaction of your service. And it's, only, it's also not only about the haircut. It's about, you know, I had, I had four teachers in my life. Not only my father taught me how to cut hair. I'm still learning, to be honest with you. The teacher told me he passed away, Boris Meltzer. He's a world champion from Ukraine. If you look him up, he's around on, a, on, a, on a Wikipedia. He says, it's important how when the customer comes into the door, how you say hi to him. Don't jump on the customer right away. Give him a few seconds to take a breath in and out because he was walking. Maybe the weather is bad. Maybe it was raining. Give him a couple of seconds to cool off. It's also... They look at how you put the cape on. How you ask a customer how far your face has to be from a customer. Then you have to be gentle. A lot of barbers are rough. You have to feel the skin. You always have to check your comb. Because when we cut with scissors, sometimes we cut the comb itself and there's sharp edges. 
where you do the, when you do the haircut, you can hurt the skin. But I created something interesting in the museum for now. Each customer, when he gets the haircut, he gets individual comb. And when we finish the haircut, he gets it as a gift. That's great. I understand that you have a pair of diamond-encrusted gold scissors that you created yourself. You crafted these. Yes. And the comb as well. And the comb as well, yes. Do you use them? Uh, n not really, because first of all, I don't want to keep them in the store. But if there is customers that want to get a haircut, so far, honestly, we had three of those. Three haircuts. So I don't use it not that often, no. You referenced the artistry of being a barber, but do you also see yourself as being one part therapist? Because I'm sure people spill the beans to you all the time, really want to use you as an ear as they're sitting there getting a haircut. Honestly, after September 11, and we always should, should talk about that and always remember that day, uh, it, it was one of the messages from above that we should unite, we should love one another, help one another. Why, why we live in a 24-hour zone? Do you know? No. 24 hours for us to sleep. It's the most healthiest sleep that we should have. Eight hours for us to work and the rest of eight hours to educate yourself and help others. So when September 11 occurred, our business went up 35%. Why? First, uh, a lot of people lost jobs, if you remember. Also, we had uh, tough times with the economy. Then a lot of people were depressed. Instead of coming once a month, they started coming once, uh, two times a month to talk. I have customers that came to my son's wedding. I go to their wedding. It's because a barbershop used to be a social club. That's why we forgetting that. Now, I, I hate to say this, barbershops became more of a chop shops. It's a seven, eight minute haircut. Bam, boom, buzzer cut, only buzz cut, buzz cut, buzz cut. But you know what? Again, I'm not God forbid judging it. My point of view and opinion, how it should be done. We're forgetting. Without the past, we're not going to have the future. So that's why I'm trying to bring the tradition back. And thank God people appreciate it more right now. And when I first opened this up, a lot of people didn't understand as far as museum and the being a barbershop. And when I started bringing the story back, a lot of people did not know the definition of a barber pole, what it means, and what we brought to the, to the communities. Can you imagine giving a kid the first haircut? You know how many kids I have that come in when I gave him the first haircut and you watch them grow, it's priceless. You cannot buy that for money. Speaking of the barber pole, the barber pole harkens back to days when barbers used to do bloodletting, right? Correct. The original barber pole was white and red. They added this strap. I'm, I don't exactly remember the year in Eastern Europe. Uh, the white stands for the bandage and the towel because they used to hang the towel by the door with the blood and used to like shake it. And uh, red stands for the blood and white stands for the bandages. And later on, they added the blue. It stands, uh, stands for the vein. Yes, and uh, a lot of people confuse it uh, 
they say it stands for the American flag. No. It looks like American flag, yeah, but it's it, it wasn't meant to, 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 to be an American flag. Well, let's talk more about this museum. What inspired you to open this museum? You're already talking a little bit about it, but tell us more about what inspired you to open a barbershop museum in New York City. It started off, I will never forget it, around 1991, we went to Jamaica Avenue. It was a flea market right by the Belmont racetrack. And there was a lady had manual clippers, uh, some old combs, a, a brush, uh, and what else he had? I, for some reason, I, I cannot find one piece. It was like a handle of a razor. So I said to my father, I'm like, why do you need this for? It's like rusty and it's like garbage. Why, why, why are you paying her money for this? So he, 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 when he bought it, we started walking. He goes like, son, don't ever disrespect history. Like you don't know who was been cut by this uh, clippers or the scissors or this comb. Maybe it was a president and we don't know about it. It carries history. So when I lost my father, those pieces, I used to, you know, uh, look at his clothes because being an only child, I grew up with him. Anywhere he went, he used to take me with him. So it was not like a father and son relationship. I used to tell him my secrets, who I used to date. He used to tell me his stories back in the days, how he fooled around, you know? So there was no secrets in between us. So I made myself a promise that one day, and I started buying, first I bought a barber chair and I put it in my living room. I made it custom made with my company's name. Then I bought a standing barber pole. And I kept it a secret. From 2004 until 2018, not even my mom knew about my idea. And it worked. Because sometimes when, it, when we talk about it, it doesn't work because I do believe it in energy field of other people. Sometimes a lot of people don't wish you well. When you tell them the story, they say, hopefully it fails. Hopefully he doesn't make it. So that's why it's good to concentrate and make it a secret if it's something big. And I learned this. I made those mistakes uh, and never again. We'll not talk about my ideas before when I do it, come out, let the people see them. So what else do you have in your collection today? Uh, boo, boo, boo. I have what? I have 49 barber chairs in my collection. Uh, some of them are rare one. Some of them we have, uh, we have two chairs, one of one. Okay, with some, we have some barber poles are very rare. I have one bar, bar, barber pole. It's wind up like a, like a, like a watch. Uh, no electricity and it spins. A lot of cool stuff. A lot of cool stuff. I, I recommend everybody when, when we got God willing, open up to visit the museum. And it's free admission, donations. Whoever wants to donate, they don't donate. Other, other than that, we don't charge nobody. Do you give tours of that if people just walk in, talk about the history? Whoever comes in, I'm, I'm usually there. I take my time. But if I'm busy, I tell them, look, you have to come back. That's Unfortunately, that's how it is. We're losing a lot, but this will pass also. What is the story you want people to walk away with when they come in and they view this vintage equipment? 
again, history. A lot of people come in and they're like, oh, a lot of few customers I had, old ladies that they, they, they cry because their father was a barber. One lady was a grandfather and they were very close. And, and two of them donate some stuff. A lot of people donate stuff like, the cousin was a barber, the father was a barber, the brother was a barber. You know, people around the world found out about this uh, barbershop. Everybody was there from PIX11 to New York 1. Yeah, I'm, I'm honestly what? proud. I'm, I'm proud and there's more coming. I also give, like I said, I teach. I, I, have, I have students that when they in need, of, of learning and have no money, I, I, I teach them for free and I try not to charge nobody. Can you sit in one of the vintage chairs to get your haircut when you come in? Of course, all three of them. We have three working chairs and one, two, three, four not working. We rotate. The museum is not that big. It's 700 square feet. But what I do every six months, I change the team. On the window, everything, it's not everything inside, but mostly 50% new chair. Like the other day, I changed the chairs again. What are some vintage techniques you use when cutting hair that aren't as mainstream today? Uh, haircut with the razor, the razor cut. And then I have a technique. Uh, I do layers, a freestyle, we call it. It's a, it's a layer cut, scissors over comb without using your fingers. Like I said, it's comb and the scissors. You bring it up and you cut it in the air. I'm sure you saw those techniques. So we're losing those two techniques. When I do the razor cut for some people that have frizzy hair, they're like, oh my God, it's been done 30 years ago. And it's true. A lot of barbers don't practice and schools, it's a shame that New York schools don't concentrate of teaching people how to use scissors. You become one-handed barber, I'm sorry to say it. You have to learn both, buzz and scissors. No, they do 75%, 80% of a haircut scissors. I mean, a buzzer, I'm sorry. I know that a portion of your sales goes to supporting social goals, right? The professional community and St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. What inspired you to want to give there? Well, that, that's a long story, to be honest with you. That's a long story. Uh, I will be short about that. I was in clinical death in 2002. It's a long story. I'm not going to go there. And I had a message, a lot of messages which happened in life. But one of the messages was that I will be a very successful businessman, will have a lot of money, and I will help a lot of kids. I do have non-profitable organization, which is one thing is after another thing, and I cannot finish it. I was trying to build a free daycare center for widowed parents. It's on hold. I still have the, uh, the, the, the place. But unfortunately, one thing, another thing, now this COVID, I was about to start and then this happened. So now it's on a postpone again. Life is too short. We have to help one another, especially kids, because it's our future generation. 
and of course elderly people. In 2012, you were arrested for keeping an unlicensed gun in a safe in your Forest Hills home. I know that you spent time in prison. I also know that you say this is a safe that you were keeping for a friend, right? The safe, uh, I'm not going to mention no names. friend of mine had pawn shops, which one of the pawn shops he shut down and asked me because it's an antique safe that can he store it. I did allow him. Then in a few months, he said that actually there were five guns that he showed me the receipt that he pawned it from an ex-cop that is retired and was collecting guns. And, you know, I said, okay, put it. It's your safe, put it. He showed me the, the receipt and everything. But at that time, I also had a jewelry store in Forest Hills. And one of my other partners uh, was buying stolen coins from the detective. So when they caught him, it, it's a mis- still a mystery how he knew about my safe in the garage. Because when they came and arrested him, he said, my partner has the jewelry that I bought from you inside his garage. At that time, I was, you know, a puppy. Now you learn. Yes, it was attempt possession in the, in the third degree. Yes, I, I, I took a plea and I never, I was cooperative. I said how it was, and my last speeding ticket was I was 18 years old. But again, mistakes do happen. You served 20 months in prison, but you also kept working as a barber when you were there, right? Yes, it it helped me a lot over there. It helped me a lot because they they respect barbers, uh, especially the barber like me. I was the only one that the lieutenant allowed me to use scissors. It was uh, scissors with like a angle. They're not, they weren't straight scissors with two po- round points uh, in, 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 the, in, the, in the beginning of the scissors. So you cannot poke anybody. Yes, and you know, the time goes by faster because some inmates, they don't want to work. And then they lose the good time. I said from the day, first day, I said, give me the job. Yeah, I was working. So you're fourth generation. Do you have kids? Is there going to be a fifth generation? One of my sons, yes. He has a barbershop on 57th Street. Yeah. My second son became an optician. But that the barbering continues. The Rubinoff tradition continues. Yes, yes. And I also have my own product line. I don't know if you know. Tell us about that. I have my own product line, which I came out in 2007. Been featured in GQ already two times. Uh, yes, my beard oil. Uh, in 2007, when I came out, the year before that, I, I learned something that our skin, like I said, is the biggest organ. And when I started uh, reading the ingredients from some companies, I was shocked. Parabens, sodium chloride, the, the harsh detergents, the color. So I started researching. I hired the, the chemist and made this small patch for my family. And then started giving to my friends. Then a little more started using on my customers. That's how it all started. And people started loving it. I'm coming out soon with a pretty interesting thing. It's gonna be a, a pre, prevent hair loss. Because a lot of guys, they, they, they start worrying it after they lose it. Why not prevent it? 
by eating right, by massaging. And I recommend everybody, the listeners, if you suffer with the hair loss, do three to five minutes scalp massage before you go to bed. It helps the blood circulation. If, if you live in a cold weather, try to wear a hat when it's cold. The follicles and the root don't like the cold, the minus degrees. Summertime, try not to wear a hat. Try to get that vitamin D. And the, also one most important thing, don't wash your hair every day with the shampoo because we need our oils. It's like enzymes in our stomach. We need those oils. All right, there is there another piece of advice you would want to leave us with, something that you have learned in the barbering world that applies to life in general? Life in general. Uh, patient is the key. Why? I'll tell you why. Because sometimes it's not always busy. You have to sit and wait for that customer to come in. And we all have bad days. When you come to work, those old bad days has to be left at home. So you also have to be an actor because you cannot show your anger to your customers. So those are the, a lot of keys that uh, barbering, discipline, come always you know, on time. Arthur, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time, George. Be blessed, guys. Arthur Rubinoff is the owner of the NYC Barbershop Museum. You can find out more at nycbarbershopmuseum.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producer Matty Bristow. Our music is courtesy of bensound.com. Thanks so much for listening.